0: Hi, I'm Jana Parker, and I'm a licensed educational psychologist. Welcome to the Edu Switchboard podcast. Listen, you know as well as I do that parenting is hard, and it's even more difficult and anxiety-provoking if you have a child who struggles at school. In my practice, I work with kids of all ages, and what I've learned is these kids struggle not only with their disability, but with their self-esteem, confidence, and motivation. The single most important thing we can do is access the right supports that will catapult their engagement and learning. My goal is to empower you as parents to help yourself and help your kids through tips, tools and strategies and interview professionals that dedicate their lives to helping kids. I strive to find the most efficient and effective way to help whatever is getting in a student's way of progress and I wanna bring those same tools to you. It is time to take action and I'm here to help.
1: Okay, awesome. So I'm here today with Karen Isaacson. I'm really excited to talk to you. Karen is a uh, a dyslexia specialist, and so she works with kids who have dyslexia. But before we get into talking about that, I just wanted to really check in about your lifestyle because it's super unique. I think it's so fun, and it's just a little um, interesting thing about you that I just thought we should start with
2: absolutely so i have a rather unconventional lifestyle i live on the water i float all day long while i'm teaching because i live on a boat so i live aboard a boat in a marina in northern california and i do this because it is so incredibly relaxing and life-giving to me and i find that it has a similar effect on my students hmm. to be able to see right now for the sake of glare i've got these clothes but i could i could Slit those open a little bit, and you'd see some boats um i don't I don't mind actually showing a bit uh of wow <laughs> Did I have the water wow. <laughs> so. So I have, a, I have a piano here on my boat, which is also very unconventional. I'm a professional musician, and this was one of my, um, one of, one of my agreements with myself is that I, I was going to move onto the water and, and have this calm, peaceful lifestyle. The piano had to come with me, so it's, it's, um, it's here with me, and I use it during our lessons. So yeah, that, that's that's, my, that is my setting here. That's why that's I, the great. curtains are slanted behind me, because nothing is square on a boat.
1: Uh, right, right. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I thought it was so unique. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So tell us about just your practice. And I think it's great because you can serve kids. You were saying not only just around you where you are, but because you do everything virtually, you help kids all over the world.
2: That's right. Many years ago, when the developer of my program, Susan Barton, made a remote um, version of the Barton Reading and Spelling program available, At first, I have to be honest, I poo-pooed it because I thought there's nothing like being in person with my students. Um, But as it turned out, parents really welcomed the opportunity to not have to get in the car and drive through rush hour traffic. Some students were coming quite a distance and they were spending three hours to do a one hour lesson to me, an hour each way in the car and one hour for the lesson. And they really welcome the opportunity to not have to do that. They can be in the other room cooking while we're having our lesson. They can take their computer on vacation with them so we can maintain frequency and consistency year round more easily this way. So I said yes to the option and I did um, begin to hone the art and science of teaching online because it really is kind of a science Um, and an art. There are ways to adapt to online, um, to an online environment that keep it really effective and really engaging. And that's important because if you're working with a student who's struggling in school, you want it to be engaging to keep their attention, especially if a student has um, attention issues. And a lot of students with dyslexia have a dual diagnosis of dyslexia and attention struggles. right? And so right. keeping their attention online is really important. So I've been learning how to do that for the last 10 years. And I am so grateful that I did because now, of course, this is a normal uh, mode for a lot of us.
1: Yeah. You're, you seem to be ahead of the game in that regard.
2: Unfortunately. You know? <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> yeah, absolutely. And talk to me about, I know that you have some specialties with working with kids with those dual diagnoses, with ADHD, with anxiety. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So in addition to ADHD, which is often really the result of a student not being able to fully access their intelligence and their creative prowess in the classroom, you know, if you and I had to sit for five or six hours a day in a really uncomfortable environment where we weren't able to shine, we would probably develop some some anxiety and some attention issues as well. So often flighty Inattentiveness is really the result of someone not being in the learning environment that's conducive for them. And that can also really engender anxiety. Um, Some of my students have been sent to me by child psychologists who know that I specialize in working with students with anxiety. Um, I'm super empathetic. I'm also really creative and really lively and encouraging. And parents say, oh my gosh, my child is relaxing with you or they're coming alive with you like we've never seen with a teacher before. Um, Because when you're failing in school, that can create a lot of anxiety. So I do specialize in working with these students, meaning that I understand where they're coming from. And right away from the very first meeting, I find ways to show them that I really respect them. Yeah. and that okay. I see who they are as intelligent, creative individuals, and that they know things I don't know. And I just tap right into that ability to say, you know what, I see you, I respect you, and we're going to be an amazing team. And that puts them at ease. And from there, we begin to work on the core problem of the inattentiveness yeah. and the anxiety, which is their dyslexia. Right,
1: right. Yeah. And so talk to me a little bit about when it's time to contact You, you know, what should a parent be looking for that leads them to a phone call or an email to you?
2: Yeah. Is your child struggling in school? Have a smart child. You know, parents often will say, well, I know I'm biased, but I really feel my child is intelligent. Believe me, you will know if your child is intelligent, don't feel bad saying my child is intelligent. And yet there's this strange discrepancy that we can't explain between their intelligence. They're articulate, they're they're creative, they're intelligent, they're articulate, they're capable in so many ways. They're socially adept, Mm -hmm. they're inventive. And there's this odd, inexplicable difficulty with reading and spelling. That is actually a great working definition of dyslexia, a discrepancy between intelligence and reading ability. And if that's the case, your child probably has dyslexia and they need to learn in a way that was designed for the dyslexic brain. And there are a number of programs out there designed by research scientists who devoted their lives to discovering what kind of system best engages the dyslexic brain and i teach one of those programs and it is absolutely transformative so when you suspect that something is something inexplicably um difficult is happening in your child's life they're intelligent but they can't read and spell correctly they probably have dyslexia and that's a great time to call me because early intervention is the key to avoiding trauma down the line in school but i like to tell parents you know what? A lot of people don't catch it early and that's okay. It's never too late to rescue someone out of the pit of failure and give them a ladder to start climbing up out of that pit so that they can succeed not only in school, but in life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I work with a lot of early learners who are starting to stroke, starting to show signs of struggle. And if you could, if you could say to a family, one thing that you think would be integral for them to do Just as soon as they start to notice that maybe their student is starting to have difficulty with reading,
2: what would you say? Well, the most important thing you can do is give that child the tools to succeed because they're going to begin failing in school immediately if they have dyslexia. And so if you suspect that your child has dyslexia, the first thing you want to do is empower yourself with knowledge because knowledge is power. And when yeah. you suspect that that's the problem, you need to go find the right kind of instruction. That's, right. that's thing number one by far, because as a parent, you're going to need to be an advocate for your child for the rest of their educational career mm-hmm. until they learn to advocate for themselves, which is one of the things that I love to do is help advocate with parents and teach children how to advocate for themselves. Um, That's a very direct line towards success. Another thing that you can do is relieve the child immediately of any pressure to have to read for themselves, but read to them voraciously, read to them a lot, all the time, at and above their intellectual capacity so that they can begin to become very familiar with really rich vocabulary, wonderful plot lines, um, interesting stories, and Reading to them will equip them because in this program, which is a college prep program, and I do teach this college prep program to elementary school children, they're going to need to have a a very rich vocabulary. So contact somebody who's a specialist and read, read, read to your kids.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I completely agree. Are there different kinds of reading programs out there? And what makes Barton, why did you choose it?
2: And what do you love about it? Oh, great question. So it is one of about a dozen Orton-Gillingham-based programs. The two researchers, Dr. Orton and Dr. Gillingham, came together and discovered that this is how the dys- dyslexic brain needs to learn. It needs to be very systematic, explicit, phonics-based, rules-based instruction. And the reason I love the Barn Reading and Spelling Program as one of those dozen or so programs is because it's really strong in the area of spelling. And horrific spelling. I don't mean that as an insult, but it is a fact. And my students will all volunteer that they are horrific spellers. Horrific spelling is a classic trademark of dyslexia. And so when someone is having difficulty with spelling and they begin to grasp the logic behind spellings of English words, they immediately begin to feel extremely intelligent. And here's what's beautiful about this is no one has to tell them anymore. Don't worry, you're smart. They've been having pe- teachers and parents and grandparents tell them this all, all their eight or nine or 10 or 12 years so far of life. Don't worry, you're smart. But you know what? They don't believe it Yeah. because yeah. they know deep down inside, they believe that they are defective. And that begins to change when they understand, oh, and they have a big aha. That's why we spell it like that, because it's been borrowed from Greek or because the vowel is In this spot, in the word, once I teach them the spelling rules, which Barton is super strong in, they begin to develop a whole new level of self-respect and no one ever needs to tell them again that they're smart because they know they are. So I love the Barton program for a number of reasons, but I would say the number one reason is because it's so strong in teaching spelling. Yeah. I can see
1: why uh, you're great at what you do. You're so engaging. <laughs> you have so oh, much energy. It's really wonderful.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank yeah. you. Um, I do have a what,
2: passion for helping these students succeed. I
1: could tell. I could tell. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Um, wh- um, what do you think is about the age that you start to see students or that this program really starts to benefit? Is there an age range?
2: No, if I could, pick the ideal age, it would be kindergarten because Mm -hmm. that's where students get in there and the schools generally say, you have to be two years behind, you know, to get tested and to get qualified, um, at least where I'm from. Um, And so parents really have to be on the lookout. And I don't very often receive kindergarten, kindergarten students because parents aren't aware and schools aren't looking for that, but ideally it would be kindergarten age so that they never have to start slipping and then be rescued out of the pit. So the earlier, the better. Um, You know, we we generally say that students are learning to read up through about third grade. And then after that, they are reading to learn. Right. And the text gets a lot smaller on the page and the pictures get smaller and the books get longer. And now they're in chapter books and now they're reading textbooks. And if a student hasn't started to receive some sort of intervention for dyslexia by fourth grade, they're drowning and they're feeling completely defective and they're doing everything in their power to hide that defect from everyone, but they're severely beginning to suffer and doubt their own self-worth. And so if we can avoid getting all the way to fourth grade without, you know, discovering that, well then great. But again, I like to reassure parents that it doesn't matter what age your child is. I have children all the way from kindergarten through high school and it's never, never too late.
1: Yeah, yeah. I want to just stress that early intervention piece, and that you know, in kindergarten, I wouldn't, you know, as I was a school psychologist for a very long time, and now in my private practice, I'm still doing um, assessment. And five, six years old, it's a little early to test and say for sure like this student has dyslexia. But you can see the warning signs. You know, you can see the warning signs, and all kindergarten teachers can see the warning signs. And if you're in a good school system those are identified. And then the reading specialists, usually from general education, if they have reading specialists in the school, which I've been very fortunate to have worked in schools where we had excellent reading specialists, and they got in and started drilling that immediately. Because, you know, in a classroom, you know, if you have 100% of the kids, 80% of those kids are just going to pick it up, right? 20% 20% of those kids are going to need that more intensive, direct, frequent, consistent, and, and explicit instruction. And most of those kids, if they get that, they're not going to have dyslexia in the, in the long run. Most of them will, it, it will remediate that because they're getting what they need. There's still that little part of, of students who will continue to struggle and who need to continue to get that explicit instruction. But if you don't catch this 20% here, they could all end up with dyslexia. So I just want to really impress upon parents who are listening to this, I, that really resonates with me. And I'm always saying like, this is a, an extremely critical time for you to be getting support for your kids, no matter the cost, you know, it, it, that's the it, reading, if they are still learning to read by the time they're in third grade, that academic uh, achievement gap is going to get so much bigger. So
2: just want yeah, really, really. If I may just piggyback and affirm what you said, that sure. all I think hands down, every single student I have ever taught has had in their records, a kindergarten teacher way back when say he's not catching on, doesn't know these things yet. And, but, but don't worry they'll catch on. That's what kindergarten mm. teachers usually say. And parents kind of, hmm, okay, well if you say so. And you know, if if a parent who's listening to this has had a kindergarten teacher or a first grade teacher, any teacher ever say they're behind, but I want you to just put that butt aside and go with the they're behind part. Yeah. Because this is the part where you jump in and you say we're not going to do the but they'll catch up because here's the truth. They won't. Right. They won't right. catch up and they will get further and further behind and their self-esteem will become eroded and they will begin to despair that they're incapable of learning. So you want to get in there not only academic, for their academic benefit, but for their emotional and psychic benefit. Um, So absolutely, I I know that it can be identified very early on. It's just that most parents aren't suspicious of that. So I encourage you, if you're watching this and you're wondering, to go to the link below and look at my website and go to the warning sign section. I actually put a link there specifically for the warning sign so you could look over it. And if you resonate with even a half a dozen of those, it's a great time to go ahead and look into getting help.
1: Yep, absolutely. I will be linking those. So everybody will have uh, that information. So thank you. If there's one thing that you could say, I guess my last question to families, as we're going into this distance learning for everybody, do you have any guidance that you would provide for families who are having early struggling readers like kindergarten, first, second grade? What should they do during this time when kids are going to be at home? You know, what can what can parents do In COVID distance learning,
2: you know, it's it. I I want to say what I would want to say to anyone, not just my students, not just people with dyslexia, but we need contact with nature. We need contact with joy and things that give us life and Mm -hmm. and pleasure, and and wherever possible, um, bring joy into into your life. It will enhance for sure. I mean. It will enhance any learning experience if they're having a good time. Um, yeah. But being stuck on a screen all day is a, is a drain for, for my students. Certainly, and I think for most kids, they need to be out experiencing life so as much as possible if you can make real life happen for them off of a screen and don't rely on on video games all the time as their source of entertainment they've already got all this screen time now more screen time like put them outside put them in the grass roll around get into the you know sprinklers whatever you can do to get real hands-on life um engagement going on that will wake up the brain it will wake up the spirit it will bring hope where they may start, be starting to feel very deflated. Um, so, yeah, just be out in the real world.
1: I love that, Karen. Thank you so much. Um, you're, so, absolutely. Karen, your, uh, your business is called Paths for Reading Success. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to link all of your information below so anybody can contact you. And it's really wonderful that you, are, you could span you know, uh, the entire state, the entire country, even further than that. So it's really incredible. And I love what you've done with your life.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you so yeah. much for partnering with me. So it's so wonderful to speak with all of you and I wish you all the best.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Edu Switchboard podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions or comments or want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at janna at jplep.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, I'm here to help.